Chapter Two of Recollections of Imperial Russia by Mariel Buchanan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Society. The first Russian ball I ever went to was at the house of Monsieur Stolipina, who was then Prime Minister. A few years earlier, when he had been living out on the islands, there had been an attempt on his life. The anarchist bomb, however, exploded prematurely, wrecked the balcony of the nursery, and very seriously injured Monsieur Stolipina's eldest daughter. But though she was permanently lame, she adored dancing, and the big white house, that was so carefully guarded by the police, was often the centre of a great deal of gaiety we had only just arrived and therefore i knew nobody but one was never allowed to feel out of it or to suffer from a lack of partners owing to the custom of having at every dance a master of ceremonies whose duty it was to direct the quadrilles and cotillion and to see that no girl ever sat out there was no question even as to whether one wanted to dance or whether the unfortunate young man on whom one was foisted wanted to be one's partner one was asked before every quadrille whether one was engaged if one said no some outwardly submissive but very likely inwardly rebellious young man was led up to one meekly clicked his heels and asked whether he might have the pleasure of dancing with one there were never very many waltzes the one step and two step were considered slightly immoral and most of the evening was filled up with quadrilles where everybody sat round the room on little gold chairs and waited for their turn generally these quadrilles began in a somewhat formal and stately manner but they invariably ended at a hectic pace and in a scramble that rather resembled kitchen lancers after two or three quadrilles and a few waltzes the cotillion which was the most important item of the evening and without which no ball was complete was announced with a great deal of fuss and preparation here again the unfortunate master of ceremonies had to find partners and vis davis for everybody and if there was an overflow of men and if one was sufficiently popular one was even occasionally allowed the luxury of two partners and after the little gold chairs had once more been put round the room sometimes three or four deep everybody at last settled down the cotillion figures differed however very little from those of a quadrille except that there were always a few waltzes and a mazurka in between and a wonderful succession of favors of ribbons and flowers and it was the flowers that were perhaps the most remarkable feature of all high hedges of huge pink roses were brought in over which girls reached up on tiptoe to grasp the hand of some unseen partner masses of golden yellow daffodils were pushed round in huge market baskets heavy bunches of parma violets were handed round sweet-scented jonquils and narcissus drooping red roses branches of frail white lilac all the way from the south of france in specially heated carriages these flowers were sent to wilton wither in the blaze of electric light carelessly passed from hand to hand when one knew the price of each pink rose each golden daffodil one could not help wondering at the vast sums of money squandered and by the time one had carried one's big armful of fragrant sweetness into the carriage and from the carriage into the house the cruel bitter frost would blacken the delicate petals and however carefully sleepy and tired though one was one slit the stems and put them in warm water the next morning would find the white lilac withered the roses drooping the violets curled up the daffodils and narcissus and tulips hanging tired wistful heads but the cotillion though it lasted for ages was not quite the end of the evening as after it was over there was still a big supper which one sat down to with one's partner 
and where the chaperones and older people were placed according to rank with its formality and set courses it was really more like a regular dinner and it lasted almost as long and though there was always a great deal of gaiety at the small round tables by the time it was over one was generally only too glad to go to bed and only very energetic couples or those who happened to be very much in love started dancing again afterwards there was in petersburg society a very marked line of division between the girls and the young married women what was called a ball blanc was attended only by girls very few foreigners were ever invited and rows of alarming-looking mammas sat round the room and one was supposed to go up shake hands and make a little curtsy to every one of them or to be presented to any one of them one had not met before but when one did not know them very well they all looked exactly and hopelessly alike were always dressed in black or dark grey had a fur scarf round their shoulders wore wonderful pearls and had their hair incredibly smoothly brushed back from their foreheads and i was always committing the unforgivable sin of being introduced two or three times over to the same old lady during the same evening or else going up to one i did not know at all and being received with a surprised and disapproving stare sitting out at a ball blanc was of course unheard of a waltz was always enormously long and one danced once or perhaps twice round the room with some young man who then brought one back to one's place clicked his heels murmured a polite thank you and vanished if one was lucky another young man took his place immediately and the same formula was repeated and if greatly daring one took more than three turns round the room with the same young man the mammas looked at one severely and made remarks in sibilant whispers hence it was only at supper or when one sat on the little gold chairs round the room that one was able to exchange any conversation and then it was always interrupted and generally at the most critical moment by some shouted order from the red-faced master of ceremonies to get up join hands or advance and retreat in single file another characteristic of a ball blanc was that there was very seldom an orchestra its place being taken by an old grey-haired tapir who was almost an historical institution as he had played in the ballrooms of petersburg for an uncountable number of years the mammas sitting round the room would occasionally look at him with a light of sentimental recollection in their eyes how beautifully he plays they would say swaying a little in time to the music and then i shall never forget the night he played at our ball when and whispering to each other they would float off on the tide of long-ago memories while their daughters danced to the old man's rhythmical music and he watched them with wise grave eyes that seemed to know all the secrets of youth and the sorrows of the human heart at the balls given by the young married women on the contrary everything was far less conventional in the first place there were no mammas sitting round the room with eagle eyes alert to watch how many times one danced with the same man quadrilles were few and far between and colombo's band gave one as many one-steps and waltzes as one could wish only the best dancers were invited a few of the most popular diplomats some of the older officers of the guard regiments and one or two poles who always came for the winter season sometimes gulisko's gypsy orchestra played in the way only gypsies can play a way that made even bad dancers feel that they had wings to their feet and their heads in the stars there was of course always the inevitable cotillion with marvellous flowers but it never lasted long and the supper was entirely informal and took place early in the evening so as to allow dancing afterwards 
looking back now it all seems so incredibly far away as to belong to another life and another world the big golden room so softly heated and lighted the scent of flowers and cigarette smoke and perfume the marvellously polished floors the absence of any crowd or jostling the perfect dancing the wonderful haunting gypsy music and outside the still frozen night that seemed somehow to press against the windows and russia immense unreadable mysterious and always a little terrifying there were naturally every year also a few enormous balls where everybody was invited and the big rooms blazed with colour and shimmered with the gold braid of uniforms the glitter of decorations the fire of jewels but here too the girls kept to one side of the room and the young married women to another and the same men hardly ever danced with both as they both had an entirely separate set of partners the time for dancing was however very short in petersburg as lent was kept with rigid strictness by the orthodox church and there were seldom any balls before christmas when the bazaar held by the grand duchess vladimir officially opened the season everybody seemed to have a stall at this bazaar and everybody else seemed to be selling so that one wondered how there was anybody left to buy however all the rich merchants and business people came in crowds and spent money with lavish generosity so that for the three afternoons and evenings that the bazaar lasted it was always thronged with people and in spite of its atmosphere of gaiety that seemed to make it more a society function than anything else a great deal of money was made and many good causes were helped and supported the first year we were in petersburg roller-skating was the craze of the moment a rink had been built on the corner of the champ de mars just opposite our house and if one did not roller-skate or at least go and look on at roller-skating one simply did not exist in society in the afternoons the rink was packed with a rather mixed assembly of foreign diplomats rich russian merchants artists officers students professors and doctors with all their various families and the crowd was so great that it was almost impossible to move a certain section of society therefore decided to forfeit a little of their sleep and go in the mornings and it became the recognized thing that one should spend an hour before luncheon skating as strenuously as one's courage or proficiency allowed some of the younger grand duchesses and a few of the smartest married women were nearly always there richly bedecorated generals who wished to be considered dashing and fashionable were led carefully round by the professionals one or two ambassadors looking on it as combining a little mild exercise with a not unpleasant social obligation put in an occasional appearance a few young secretaries of embassies and some of the most popular officers escaping for a few moments from barracks or chancery would swing out into the rink dash round at hurricane speed do surprising and perilous tricks and vanish regretfully back to their respective duties and at the little round tables mothers chaperoning their daughters ambassadors or ministers wives and some of the older ladies of the court would sit and listen to the music sip pale very much sweetened tea and discuss the latest engagement or divorce one night a supper and a ball on roller skates was given by the grand duchess cyril who hired the rink after it was closed to the general public at midnight i remember that we had been to some big official dinner that evening and it was rather a wearying experience to come home at eleven change from evening into day clothes and start out once more but the supper and ball was a great success and the quadrille on roller skates though mixed with a certain amount of danger as a good many of the dancers were mere beginners was decidedly amusing and at moments extraordinarily funny 
Roller skating, however, was a craze that was too violent to last for long. A year later already fewer people went, and in the afternoons the attendance became more irregular, exotic, and egregious. One or two scandals took place. I vaguely remember some story of an officer shooting himself, or somebody else, in the middle of the rink. Anyhow, the place got a bad name, and was shortly afterwards closed and then pulled down. In Russia, Lent begins on the Monday instead of on the Wednesday, as it does with us. The last week of Carnival was always, therefore, crammed with balls, and on the Sunday, which the Russians called a journée foulque, every hour that remained was made use of in an entertainment, that generally began with a luncheon, continued with games in the afternoon, and ended up with an early dinner and dancing that had to stop punctually on the stroke of twelve. Very often this day was spent in the country, and one year the Grand Duchess Cyril had a big party in her mother-in-law's palace out in Sorsko. For this, everybody started by special train at eleven in the morning. In the hour before lunch, somebody built a huge snowman in the gardens, and a terrific battle of snowball followed. In the afternoon, we drove in a long line of sledges and troikas through the quiet, frost-bound woods of Pavlovsk, returning with a huge appetite for tea. Between tea and dinner we played games, Hunt the Slipper and Blind Man's Bluff, and Bumps, when I remember my father and the Grand Duchess Olga, the late Emperor's sister, both sitting down on the same chair, which collapsed with an ominous creak, and deposited them both none too gently on the floor. Then, after tidying as much as we could, we had dinner, followed by a dance and a small cotillion, and finally returned to Petersburg by a sleepy train at half-past twelve. During Lent the time was taken up by receptions, bridge parties, official dinners, and an endless succession of the inevitable at-home days. And I remember I cordially disliked all this category, and had not always in those days enough sense of humor to overcome my boredom and see the funny side of things. At the time so much of it meant merely official restrictions and etiquette, but looking back now at those never-ending at-home days, I can only see them as rather comical or intensely pathetic in the light of all that has happened since. I can still picture them all so clearly, the heated drawing-rooms with their stiff gold chairs, their innumerable photographs, their countless ornaments, their atmosphere of scent and hot tea and cigarette smoke the old ladies with their immaculately brushed hair, the three or four court gentlemen with bald round heads and somewhat indefinite faces, the rows of young girls very much on their best behavior, and always one or two oddities one never met anywhere else because nobody ever asked them out, and their only form of social gaiety consisted in going to as many at-home days as possible, eating as many cream cakes as they could swallow, and gathering up all the scraps of gossip they heard and always in every drawing-room the same cups of sweet weak tea the same everlasting oft-repeated questions do you like being in russia and how do you support the climate i used to try and vary my answer to the last question as much as i could just for the sake of not always saying the same thing but even if i hadn't liked russia i should have had to say that i did and when one had been asked the same question about six times the same afternoon it was sometimes very hard to look enthusiastic and then the monotony of the official and diplomatic dinners though they are i think very much the same all the world over a long table covered generally with a bad mixture of silver 
a heavy mass of inartistically arranged flowers rather sweet champagne and tall narrow glasses a mixture of languages a buzz of forced conversation everybody trying to look amused and not always succeeding and all the time the women surreptitiously examining each other's clothes making remarks and taking notes as is the custom of women in all countries madam so-and-so has a new dress on i suppose she got it from the little dressmaker on the spalernea but she is sure to say it came from paris i am sure countess l's dress is the blue one we all know so well dyed and redone madam x has done her hair a new way it makes her look older but i think i'll try it when i get home and after dinner the long hours when the women sat on stiff chairs and made laboriously sweet conversation to each other while the men drifted into corners to talk politics and the clock seemed as if it would never get nearer eleven when it was possible for the most important lady to make a move if easter came early in the year there were again a few balls but a great many people would already be leaving most of them going to paris or the riviera and a few to their estates in south russia or their villas down in the crimea and as the days lengthened there would be tennis and boating out on the islands or long drives in the pearl-coloured twilight a few desultory luncheon parties or dinners a picnic perhaps or an excursion in a little steamer on the gulf of finland early in june all the guard regiments moved out to the summer camp at kresno about twenty miles from petersburg and their wives and families followed them living in little wooden houses passing the time with an endless amount of gossip the complications of rather difficult housekeeping and small dinners and parties at the wooden theatre and open-air restaurant a good many people also had villas at Sursko, strelno or puterhof and during the summer months there was a constant coming and going between these places and a certain amount of intermittent entertaining impromptu dances dinners and suppers in september however everybody who could left petersburg for the autumn is the worst time of all in northern russia when the grey days succeed each other in endless and hopeless succession and the heavy clouds seem as if they were never going to lift when the daylight hours grow shorter and briefer and the river is the colour of dark steel and even the golden spires and domes seem to lose their radiance but like the glowing days of summer those bleak dull days would pass the first half-frozen flakes of snow would drift down from the cold grey sky the first ice would float down the sullen river the boxes at the ballet would be filled with familiar faces groups of laughing girls accompanied by english governesses would walk up and down the quay in the mornings the great length and breadth of the nevsky would be crowded by carriages with bearded coachmen in bright-coloured velvet caps blue and crimson and orange and green motors would flash by driven by chauffeurs in great fur coats like shaggy bears court carriages with coachmen in bright scarlet livery and cocked hats would forge their way through the dense mass of traffic which the policemen with their little white wands controlled and stemmed while the air vibrated with the hoarse cries of the drivers shouting out their warning to unwary pedestrians and over it all always the sound of bells the tolling majesty of the bells of st isaac's the golden chime of the cathedral of st peter and paul half drowned in the roar of traffic from the troitsky bridge the silver clamour from the church of the resurrection built on the spot where the emperor alexander ii was killed by a nihilist bomb in eighteen eighty one and cracked and solemn and gay and sad and sweet the bells of all the other churches with their coloured cupolas and domes and whispering in the air sheltering against the houses fluttering almost under the horses feet 
flocks of pigeons who were considered sacred in russia on account of the holy ghost always being pictured as a dove so if i shut my eyes i can still see petersburg on some bright wintry morning with the yellow imperial flag flying against the ice-blue sky and the sound of a military band somewhere along the quay End of chapter 2